Attention everyone, I have an important announcement about the nature of celebrity, the interaction between celebrity and the ego, and the way in which part of the construction of our own identities is in response to our own exaltation of heroes, and the announcement is as follows. That stuff is bad. Alright, chapter 6. This chapter is called Gilderoy Lockhart, which, if you recall, is the Sue Grafton of Hogwarts. And so the kids are sitting around the cafeteria, and I wonder if we're ever going to get into whether Hogwarts has, like, the cool kids. Like, you know those moody kids who, like, smoke cigarettes and shit? Not just, oh, these kids are brave and these kids are smart, but, like, straight up, these kids are working through identity issues by being aloof and smoking cloves at the skate park and listening to art rock giving themselves, like, stick-and-poke tattoos of Smith's lyrics or some shit. I doubt it. So for now, it's just the fucking goody-goodies, and Harry and Ron and Bossy Girl, and the weird sad kid who lost his toad, and they're just chillin', bullshittin', and then all these owls come in and give them letters. And again, they describe Ron's owl as being all sad and close to death. But I feel like this is some dumb stuff that the author is trying desperately to get me to care about, or at least notice so I'm sure it'll factor in somewhere down the road. But for now, it's just this really bizarre thing where their narrator keeps being like, so get a load of this sad, shitty, dying creature over here. And every time, I'm just like, is there a point to this? And so Ron's dying owl gives him a howler. And Ron and the weird sad kid who lost his toad are both like, oh no, a howler. And weird sad kid who lost his toad is like, you better open it immediately because my grandma gave me one of those one time and I didn't open it immediately and it was horrible. And I have something to say about this, but I need to explain what happens with the Howler first. So we'll circle back to this comment by the weird sad kid who lost his toad. It'll be like some fucking Quentin Tarantino shit. So the Howler is this, like, red letter, and it's all, like, smoky and shit. And so when Ron opened it, it yelled at him? Like, it was his mom in letter form yelling at him in letter form. And then the envelope burst into flames and disintegrated into ashes. How the fuck did this thing make it through the product design process without someone being like, yeah, the liability on these exploding letters is probably not worth whatever marginal benefits are to be gained. Okay, and so then think back to the weird sad kid who lost his toad telling Ron that he better open it immediately in front of the entire class so that it wouldn't be, quote, horrible later if he opened it later. This is clearly just the author going, Oh, wait, yeah, um, it's really obvious that if I didn't say that, everybody would just be like, well, why wouldn't you just throw that letter away? Because that is the obvious thing. And so, to deal with that, she just has another character say that if they do that, it's horrible. But for no, they don't give any explanation as to why it would be horrible, what would be worse than your mom yelling at you in front of the entire cafeteria, it's just like, oh no, if you wait, it's even worse for some reason. And then the narrator goes into Harry's interior life for almost like two whole sentences. And he's like, wow, I really fucked over Mr. Weasley after all his family had done for me. And then the narrator just straight up cuts his thoughts short and says, eh, but he had no time to dwell on that because Professor Catwoman was handing out their class schedules. 
So it's like, yeah, Harry felt guilty for approximately 12 seconds and then turned his attention back to his own selfish existence. And then so they all have this herbology class together and they start walking over there and the narrator does a real twofer. I'm just going to read this sentence. At least the Howler had done one good thing. Bossy Girl seemed to think that they had now been punished enough and was being perfectly friendly again. And I'm pointing this out because people think I'm cherry picking to make the book look bad, but no, this shit is fucking everywhere. Number one, the phrase seem to think is an indication that the narrator cannot enter the interior life of Bossy Girl. She's off limits. Her thoughts are unknowable. Her interiority can only be guessed at. Unlike Harry, whose thoughts the narrator entered on this exact page. And recall, it's not just Harry. Fucking Uncle Vernon's interior life is open to us. Ron's is too, on occasion. Although it's usually when there's some sort of, like, E.T.-style mind-meld shit going on with Harry. But not the one main female character. She is completely unknowable. She is a fucking enigma. And here's the other part of that twofer. How do we know that Bossy Girl is being friendlier to them? Do we get a scene where she is friendly? Do we see her loosen up and say something nice? Do we get a description of action that would indicate a friendlier disposition? Nope. We are told that she is friendlier, again, in some completely non-specific way. So then they go to this herbology class, and the professor is named Professor Sprout. Isn't that fun? What a fun coincidence that is, because it's herbology. Sprout. And then Sprout is all bruised and bandaged up because Professor Sprout was trying to help the angry tree. And so the angry tree presumably beat up old Professor Sprout. And we get a physical description of Professor Sprout that includes the phrase, There was usually a large amount of earth on her clothes. So again, fantastic prose here. And so then Sue Grafton is there and he's like, I'd like a word with Harry alone. She, yeah, that's the ticket. And, like, he talks like some gangster from the 30s for some reason. And he's like, I knew why you flew that car, so you figured it out immediately. You got a little taste of the spotlight, is that right? The celebrity bug. Yeah, I see it. That sparkle in your eye, that jaunt in your step, song in your heart, and a nation to sing it to. And Harry's like, uh, what is wrong with you? And he just keeps going. Harry Potter, craving the spotlight, needing those headlines, making a man feel good inside, powerful, like he can conquer the world, but it's all pixie dust, see, yeah, all that's solid melts into air, all that's holy is profaned. You live in the spotlight, you'll die there too. Eat it up and return to your vast carelessness and let someone else pick up the pieces. Those celebrity hawks, they're a rotten crowd, so you're rotten to the core. You think they care about you, about your well-being? They don't care about you. They care about themselves, their bottom line, staying in the black, seeing their numbers tick up on that stock ticker. Soon as you can't help with that, it's curtains for you, pal. They'll throw you out like a pack of rabid wolves. Hope you brought the shirt your mama sewed you, because that's all you're leaving with. And Harry's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? I blame myself just as much as anyone, Harry. I gave you that taste. Thought you could handle it. Little did I know. Now let me tell you a story about when I was your age. I won the Most Charming Awesome Guy Award five times in a row. You think you're famous, Harry? You haven't even tasted the kind of fame that I swallow by the gallon on the daily. And so then just right off the bat, the dude is just the worst. And so then that dude walks off and Harry goes to herbology class. And Professor Sprout is like, Okay, so what we have here is a plant called the mandrake. Can anyone tell me about the mandrake plant? And Bossy Girl raises her hand and she's like, that's a plant used for restoring people who were cursed back to their original state, and it's also a plot device for later in this book. And the teacher is like, correct. Any other convenient plot contrivances related to this plant that you can think of? And Bossy Girl is like, oh yes, it also makes a sound that kills anyone who hears it. And the professor is like, exactly. So 
Having them here is insanely dangerous, and at best, I am acting in willful disregard of that danger. So now, class, please put on your earmuffs so you don't die. And so everyone puts on their earmuffs. And she takes out one of the plants, and instead of roots, it's like the face of a baby. And the baby cries, but no one hears it. And then the professor buries the baby again. This is normal. This isn't weird. And so then she tells them that actually these mandrakes are too young to be deadly, and they'll just knock you unconscious for several hours. So let's get into groups and play with them. And so then Harry and Ron and Bossy Girl get grouped with this stupid Hufflepuff kid, and the kid is like, I'm super friendly and talkative. I have a goofy name that Darren didn't bother to write down when he was reading, and he's probably not going to go back because I don't appear to be particularly important to the story. And also, it, it may seem really weird that there's a random Hufflepuff kid, uh, because in the last book, it said that all the houses took classes with just themselves, and I remember this because I remember thinking that it was a super bizarre bit of pedagogy, but apparently this was a double class with Hufflepuffs, so it sounds like Hogwarts is having staffing issues. Or maybe it's issues with the amount of space needed for the herbology class, although you'd think that Hogwarts would have enough room for four classes, what with its many turrets and towers. And then some other boring shit happens, and instead of summarizing it, I'll just read this one sentence because it's the only sentence that matters in, in this part. Everyone filed out of the classroom except him and Ron, who was whacking his wand furiously on the desk. Ladies and gentlemen, he was whacking his wand. And later it says that the wand let off a volley of bangs like a firecracker. And so then they have to go to Sue Grafton's class, and Ron makes fun of Bossy Girl because she's outlined all the lessons, all of his lessons in little hearts. And so she's got herself a little crush, a little crush on the weirdo gangster from the 30s. And so then Harry sees this weird kid with a camera, and the kid is like, can I take your picture to prove I've met you, and then could you sign it? And just then who comes up to them but crappy Dracula kid, and he's like, oh, you're signing photos now, you famous guy. And he has his droogs with him. Hell yeah, I love those dudes. Garbage sons. Uh, patty cake and pickles. And then crappy Dracula tells Ron, who's there for some reason, that photos of Harry Potter are worth more than his family's house, which is either a rare housing market-based insult or a pretty decent compliment to Harry Potter, you decide. And so then, of course, gangster Sue Grafton comes up, and he's like, What's going on? See? Oh, look, it's you again, Harry. Giving out autographs, bitten by the bug of fame. And so then they all go to class with gangster Sue Grafton, and as if we didn't know this before, gangster Sue Grafton gives the class a quiz, ostensibly on his books, but really just like a how awesome am I quiz. And, you know, all the questions are like, How much do you know about me? How great am I? What, a, what are some awesome things about me? And so then, um, of course, Bossy Girl scores really well on it, and then... He's like, this class is about scaring the shit out of you with weird little creatures because that's a valuable educational thing. And he's like, here's the first creature. It's a weird, rascally little pixie thing. And everyone's like, that's not scary. And he's like, okay then. And so then he lets like a bunch of these things out of their cage and they just shoot around the room and they grab the weird sad kid who lost his toad by the ears and they lift him into the air. And they like spray everyone with ink bottles and shit and they smash windows and they play like Surfer Rosa start to finish. And so then Gangster Sue Grafton yells, like, Piscuto Pepperoni or something, and, and it does fucking nothing. And this is just like that fucking scene from Gremlins 2, where the Gremlins have just completely overtaken Clamp Tower, and there's, like, weird sad kid who lost his toad is, like, swinging from the candelabra, and the Gremlins are shooting around, or the pixies or whatever. And there's that, like, brainy pixie who's like, Is that civilized? He's like the fucking William F. Buckley of pixies for some reason. You know, like, just... Terrible arguments, but said with, like, a 
sophisticated arrogance, so it makes it sound reasonable. Yeah, yeah, I said it. That's right, Brainy Gremlin, I'm calling you out. Pixies are just going fucking crazy, like, you know, where's my mind kind of shit, and then um, the bell rings and everybody runs out of class. It's weird that they waited for the bell. Like, these little creatures are fucking rioting and destroying everything and biting people and shit, and everyone's just, like, staring at their watches like, boy, I sure hope I can leave soon. And so then even Sue Grafton leaves, and he turns to Harry and Ron and Bossy Girl, and he's like, oh, hey, can you, uh, stop this riot and put those dudes away? And they're like, ugh, fine. And then Bossy Girl is, like, trying to justify Sue Grafton's behavior. Like, oh, he's just trying to give us some hands-on experience. And Harry and Ron are like, uh, no, he's a fraud. And that's where the chapter ends. So I said in an earlier chapter that I thought it would be cool if this book tried to deal with the dark side of celebrity culture, but, like, I don't think that'd be cool anymore. I mean, I still think it would be cool in theory, but this story doesn't seem to know what is interesting about celebrity culture, because Harry is basically our guide through the themes of this book. He's our Sherpa, and so if he's immediately like, oh, this dude is a total fraud, and also everything else paints this dude to be a total fraud, like, I mean, he's completely full of himself, he's a total blowhard, Nothing is redeeming about him. Even the jokes he tries to tell in class fall flat. He's a complete caricature of self-obsessed celebrity. So then the deck is totally stacked against this concept. And I don't really know where they're going with this guy yet. Maybe there's going to be a turn or something. But right now, I don't hate him the way I, I hate, say, you know, the Kardashians or whatever. I hate the portrayal of him. I hate that he's tedious. I hate that this is a world where he's not Kardashian famous. He's like some odd combination of public intellectual and swoony heartthrob but he's instantly portrayed as so obviously a huckster that first of all it makes no sense that hogwarts would even hire him but that he could just grift the wizard world for like decades without anyone being like oh this dude is full of shit seems really odd and so then my main complaint is that it's unfair of the author to portray him this way without explicating any of the qualities that made him such a celebrity or that, that draws people to him without saying like here's what his celebrity says about the culture here's why we care about this isn't this a weird thing shouldn't we critique this it's just let's hate on this individual guy it's back to this individual mythos so the thumb is on the scale here pretty clearly i don't see why it's not saying anything interesting it's just making fun of a blowhard and if i'm being honest i think this is perhaps a subconscious way in which the author is writing through some anxiety she has about being a popular novelist who is maybe a bit insecure about her own abilities. Clearly something she hasn't worked through because it's coming across the page in the most clumsy, buffoonish way possible. I think it, the real tragedy is that she's othering that side of herself rather than tapping into it and empathizing with it and trying to figure out how it works. And honestly, I hesitate to go too far down this type of analysis because A, I don't know anything about the author's actual psyche. I can only read the words on the page and then place them in the context of, you know, the Harry Potter phenomenon and the sorts of pressures I would imagine would be reasonably put on anyone. And B, I don't know if this is even particularly helpful in understanding the story. Like, would I have liked the author to use some of her own experiences with fame as a way of writing a richer, more recognizably human famous character? Yeah, but that's not the book I'm reading. The book I'm reading is the one in which the famous author character is a cartoonish buffoon. And yeah, it sucks because she's the rare author who could write a human famous author character pretty easily from experience. But I should also note that this character is not any more cartoonish and nonsensical than nearly everyone else. Like we have a book with an inexplicably evil uncle 
an inexplicably mean and nasty house of wizards, led by an inexplicably mean and nasty professor. And then there's this inexplicably evil wizard who inexplicably wants to murder the protagonist. So, I mean, this book traffics in black and white, good and evil. I'm not sure why I would expect its treatment of celebrity to be any different, but, uh, I guess I like the Gremlins 2 scene. 